If you would, turn to the Bible to Job chapter 38. Job chapter 38. Job is the book right before Psalms. It's where we have been for several weeks. While you're turning to Job 38, I want to just say again, uh, Matt and Garth did a great job of thanking everybody they should thank, but our church should be incredibly thankful for Matt and Liz McBroom, Jake and Sam Beatty, and Garth and Emily Farmer. If y'all would, please, let's thank them. None of those people that we named are full-time here. They are bivocational, working extremely hard. I, I made a comment to Matt uh, about Wednesday or Thursday that our VBS volunteers were up to about 25 to 30 hours this week of being at church. Uh, that's a lot. That is very tiring. Uh, it was hot and a lot of kids, and yet it was, it was wonderful. And I do think that if we could find a way to uh, find more strength or, or more time that we would like to do it even more often than once a year. Uh, we enjoy it that much and we are thankful, so thankful for the opportunity. We are thankful for parents that trust the church and we are so thankful uh, for the kids and the families that are now a part of the work going on here. But today is Father's Day. We've come to the end of the book of Job got a few sermons left before we're completely done, but we are at the point where God finally speaks. And that's what the sermon was about last week, and we will continue on this idea now at Job chapter 38. If you don't know the story, Job is the best man on earth, the most righteous, the most upright, good from about every measure, and God is the one who told us that about Job. But Satan says that it's, it's all a show. He's not real on the inside. And that if his life wasn't so good, then Satan says that Job would curse God. That's the setting here. So God lets Satan do certain things to Job, more or less destroying his life so that God can show that God is the one in charge that God is the one keeping Job, that God is the one who has power over Satan. And we have this long book unfolding, 42 chapters. Job is a long book in the Bible. 42 chapters of this being played out. Job's friends try to come to his rescue or to his comfort and try to help him work through this, but it doesn't really work. They are good friends, but they can't seem to get to the bottom of this. And here's why. Job and his friends don't know that Satan is involved. They never mention him. And Job and his friends don't know that God is in charge of Satan and God is the one allowing Satan to do some things but preventing Satan from doing other things. They don't know any of that. And if they do know some of that, they don't speak to it through all these 42 chapters. And so we see that this book and this story is huge in our lives because our lives are also full of suffering and hardship and adversity. They are. You may not be in the midst of a lot of adversity right now, but adversity is common in our lives. And God has given us the book of Job so that we would know where our Father in heaven is every step of the way. I've titled this sermon, This Is My Father's World. And that's a song that we sang just a little bit ago. It's an old hymn that's in our hymnal, 
but it fits with what's going on with Job here, and it fits with Father's Day because the comfort for Job is not that he got his questions answered. The comfort for Job is not that all of a sudden God has given him an explanation for why all that's going on. The comfort for Job is that God reminds him and brings him back that God is God and this is his world and he does not make mistakes. He takes care of those that are his. He loves his own faithfully all the way to the end. We can trust our Father in heaven. That comforts Job. So read with me, if you will, beginning at Job 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, God finally speaks. And in doing so, he is wanting Job to recognize how big he is is. God knows what we are learning, that believing that God is God and masterful and in charge and sovereign with all power, undeterred by anything at all, that comforts the creature. The creature knowing the creator is comforted when they know that the creator, the God that made us, is a good God to us, a saving, loving God, truly a father in heaven. And this is why we see God comforting Job in ways that you might not have expected. In our world where we demand an answer or we think that we are so right or it's all about us, we think that we have to have everything explained to us because we deserve that, we often will say or expect or hear. There is very little of that in Job's suffering. And let me remind you that Job's suffering is pretty steep. He had 10 children and they all died. He was extremely wealthy, it was all taken. He had his health, it was all taken. He was miserable, he had lost his reputation, his status, he had lost seemingly everything and yet, God doesn't really tell Job why. He just reminds Job of who God is. As we look at God's answer to Job and the idea that this is my father's world, I have three points for us this morning. And number one is the reign of the father. He reigns, R-E-I-G-N, not R-A-I-N, the reign of the Father, his rule, his sovereignty, his size, his strength, his power, his authority, his ability to be able to be in charge of absolutely everything, his governing power, his overseeing, the reign of the Father. And it is overwhelming to see how much God wants Job to come back to this. I want to remind you this morning or encourage you this morning or even challenge you this morning that your life needs more of seeing the reign of the Father. 
regardless of how you walked in here this morning, you need to be reminded today that you have a Father in heaven that is all-powerful, who reigns, and who will not let you down. Whether it is your family, whether it is your health, whether it is your work, whether it is your sinfulness, obey or disobeying and rebelling against God, God is bigger than all that we've got going on and we need to start with bringing ourselves back under he reigns. You need to say to yourself and believe God is in charge. God knows, God sees this, God hears this. God, if you are a believer in Christ, is with you. He is walking with you. The Bible says that when I walk through the fire or when you walk through the fire, I will be with you. through your injuries, through your tragedies, through your difficulties, through whatever it is, you need to be reminded here today from the book of Job at our church that God reigns. You need that. You need to bring yourself to that. You need to believe that. You need to see that here in the scriptures. Now, it's gonna take a little bit more time than usual, but I want you to see God's effort at making sure Job gets this. It is not as simple as he's sovereign, because we do say that a lot. We say two words, he's sovereign. No matter what we're going through, we'll say he's sovereign. God knows, all things work together for the good, right? We, we say that. But sometimes we can say that, and in our negativity, or in our doubt, or in our struggle, we can say that, and it comforts for a few seconds, but because our lives are often so wayward, we are back away from his reign, not living under his reign too quickly. And what, what God does to Job here is say it so much, in so many different ways, that you're left going, I need to bring myself under God's good reign. Read with me at Job 38, starting in verse eight. Or who shut in the sea with the doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said thus far shall you come and no farther and here shall your proud waves be stayed. You ever been to the beach and thought, well what if the waves just keep coming? And I know y'all think, well the sand dunes are there to stop it, like really the sand dunes are gonna stop the ocean, right? God is reminding Job that was my idea. I allow the waves to come this far and I allow the waves to go this far and for the rest of history, they never go too far this way and they never go too far this way. God tells them, that's what he tells Job right there. That's pretty big God. You can go to the ocean and stand on the beach and look as far as you want that way and see nothing and look as far as you want that way and see nothing and as far as you want that way and see nothing. And if you're crazy enough to go out on a boat that far, they can take you to a spot where you can do like this and you will see nothing. That body of water, God made by the power of his word and he drew the limits just like that. He's reminding Job of this. Verse 12, have you commanded the morning since your days began? And cause the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth, and the wicked be shaken out of it? 
It is changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. God is taking Job to task, if you will. But not so much, listen, not so much as this disciplinarian, upset father that now his son is finally doubting, but rather a loving father that has his reign in charge so that Job would be comforted in his suffering knowing that his father holds him tightly, that God will not let Job go, and he is teaching him this. Verse 19, where is the way to the dwelling of light? Where does God keep light? That's a good question, right? Where's the sun at right now? And where was it last night when it went away? And really, how big is the earth? And how big is the sun? And how far away is it? And you may have heard this quote before, but it was Pastor Luke Walker that said, the sun will burn your eyes out from 92 million miles away. And do you expect to casually stroll into the presence of its maker? The sun will burn your eyes out from 92 million miles away. If that sun is high noon today and there are no clouds, you will not be able to walk outside and look straight at it without it doing something to you. And it is 92 million miles away. And yet the God who made that sun speaks to you and I like we talk to a person and now he speaks to Job, reminding Job that he's big enough to hold our problems in his hands. We recognize this when God is reminding Job of where he keeps the light. Verse 20, that you may take take it to its territory, that you may discern the past to its home. You know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow, or have you seen the storehouses of the hell, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed, or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has, a, who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain, and a way for the thunderbolt, to bring rain on a land where, there, where no man is, on the desert in which there is no man, to satisfy the waste and desolate land, and to make the ground sprout with grass? Has the rain a father? Or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did the ice come forth? And who has given birth to the frost of heaven? The waters become hard like stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season? Or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clods stick fast together? Can you hunt the prey for the lion? Or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in their thicket? Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry to God for help and wander about for lack of food? He keeps going. Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Look at these questions that God is asking Job. 
We're just getting started. There's four chapters of this. That's just the first chapter. God is wanting Job to recognize his reign. Chapter 39, do you know where the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the does? Can you number the months that they fulfill? And do you know the time when they give birth? When they crouch, bring forth their offspring and are delivered of their young? Their young ones become strong. They grow up in the open and they go out and do not return to them. Who has let the wild donkey go free? Who has loosed the bonds of the swift donkey to whom I have given the arid plain for his home and the salt land for his dwelling place? He scorns the tumult of the city. He hears not the shouts of the driver. He ranges the mountains and as his pasture, and he searches after every green thing. Verse nine, is the wild ox willing to serve you, Job? Will he spend the night at your manger? Can you bind him in the furrow with ropes, or will he harrow the valleys after you? Will you depend on him because his strength is great, and will you leave to him your labor? Do you have faith in him that he will return your grain and gather it to your threshing floor? The wings of the ostrich wave proudly, but are they pinions and plumage of love? For she leaves her eggs to the earth and lets them be warmed on the ground, forgetting that a foot may crush them and that the wild beast may trample them. She deals cruelly with her young as if they were not hers, though her labor be in vain. Yet she has no fear because God has made her forget wisdom and given her no share in understanding. When she rouses herself to flee, she laughs at the horse and his rider. Do you give the horse his might? As I was studying this, I was taken back at God's reign over the horse. In Kentucky, we love horses and we love horse racing and there are multiple times during the year where horse racing is a big deal, but there's one weekend with the Kentucky Derby with the Oaks and the Derby where we are just in all of horses and people pay millions of dollars for horses, right? They're big and they're strong and every single one of us has seen one of those horses trotting and galloping across and we think, look how muscular they are. Look at how beautiful they are. God is reminding Job, the strength of the horse was a gift from God to the horse. Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like the locust? His majestic snorting is terrifying. He paws in the valley and exults in his strength. He goes out to meet the weapons. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed. He does not turn back from the sword. Upon him rattle the quiver, the flashing spear, and the javelin. With fierceness and rage, he swallows the ground. He cannot stand still at the sound of the trumpet. When the trumpet sounds, he says, aha, He smells the battle from afar, the thunder of the captains and the shouting. Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and spreads his wings toward the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? On the rock he dwells and makes his home, on the rocky crag and stronghold. From there he spies out the prey. His eyes behold it from far away. His young ones suck up blood and where the slain are, there is he. Verse, chapter 40, verse one. And the Lord said to Job, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. God has just asked Job all of these questions to which God knows and Job knows. Job cannot answer those questions. Job does not know as much that God knows. 
we are to be reminded here this morning that God is greater than us. We are to see his reign as a good thing. We are to believe that our maker loves us and reigns over us and that there are so many things that we don't understand and we, when we try to make it personal, which we should do, we should believe that there are things going on in our lives under the good, sovereign will of God that God understands all so well and yet we don't and yet we are to trust. The reign of God is to put this into perspective. When we sang, this is my father's world, we heard this line. This is my father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world, I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas, his hand the wonders wrought. There is a real sense by faith that you are to believe in the reign of God and it is to be good for you. I want to ask you here this morning that you would believe that, that God reigns and that you don't, that we are to believe him and trust him. There's something healthy about having a father in heaven that you recognize you're not him, bigger, smarter, stronger, better than you, and that's just good for you. In the same way, fatherhood, fatherhood on earth is to do that. I want to encourage you fathers to be an example to all the young people in your life of what our heavenly father is like. Bigger, better, stronger, smarter. Until you raise them up, where they can be that. And that's the way fatherhood is supposed to be. And I'm honored here this morning that my, my mom and dad are here. I haven't seen them through the whole pandemic and they were able to come up this weekend and they're sitting right here and I'm grateful for them. And my mom and dad have been huge in my life. And they've loved me and pushed me and challenged me and disciplined me and provided for me and done everything they can to try to raise me up, that I would be a good father. And Father's Day, especially thinking about what God is wanting Job to understand, has me thinking about all this. And I want to tell you a story that I've never forgotten. I got married on April 2nd of 2005, and I was 25 years old when I got married to Val. The weekend before we got, or a few days before we got married, I had several of the groomsmen come into town, and we stayed together and played basketball and hung out and did all those fun things, and <clears throat> one morning we got up, we were at my parents' house and one of my good friends had a flat tire. And so we said, we'll change it. And my dad stayed inside doing whatever he was doing and we went out there and we got to working on it, trying to just you know get the lug nuts undone and we're working on it, we couldn't get it. So went inside and told my dad, dad, we, we can't get it. And he said something like, well, y'all not strong? So well, we're strong, stronger than you, Dad, but I, 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 we can't get it. Well, go out there and try it. You got five men, y'all figure it out. So we go out there and all of us are now trying. Every one of us are out there trying and trying and trying. We couldn't get it. Working hard, busting our knuckles, and we couldn't get it. And you know, when you're getting married, you're supposed to be grown and mature and responsible and 
I hated to have to go in there and at 25 say, Dad, I can't get it. You know, like I'm a teenager or something, but we had to go in there with all of my groomsmen and say, we can't get it. So my dad comes up and walks out of the house and walks through the garage and grabs a PVC pipe and carries a PVC pipe right out to the car and sticks it right there on the ranch and like this, with the leverage, just turns it like that. And we all looked at ourselves like, what? Is he stronger than us or smarter than us or just all together in every way better than us? And fatherhood is like that, is it not? Kids look up to fathers like they're just everything. They've gone before us. And you know that in the eyes of a child, the father is so much. And in that same way, God is supposed to be that to you. You've not outgrown him. Regardless of your age, you need him. You may be big and smart and responsible now. You may have all sorts of duties in your life and successes and achievements, but God is the one who reigns. Stronger, wiser, better, more certain, and you need him. This Father's Day, bow your heart to the God that reigns. Secondly, not only do we see God reminding Job of his reign, but we see God reassuring Job, reassuring him. Remember how Job begins? It's fantastic. Job is an example in every way. He is self-controlled, He's responsible. He's a blessing to people. It says in Job that he woke up early every morning to do the religious duties he needed to do for his children. And it says in case his children <coughs> were living in some sin, Job was doing what a father should be doing there to help them recognize that. Job was exemplary in every way. We see early in Job that Job knew God and God knew Job. They had a relationship. He loved him. He believed him. He knew his father was the redeemer. It is Job himself that made the great declaration, I know that my redeemer lives. Job was rock solid. In the New Testament, we have Job as an example of faith, right? The book of James tells us of the righteousness of Job and the perseverance of Job and the long-suffering of Job. Job is an example for us of a man of God who believes in God. Throughout the prophets, <coughs> throughout the prophets in the Old Testament, Job is mentioned by many of the prophets as the most holy, the most faithful, the most righteous. He is an example to us. And yet, because his life went through so much hardship, and listen, I know that many people, many of you here, are going through such hardship. And this is why Job is good for us. There are things in your life right now that I know you wish it would not be that way. You wish you could change it right now. You wish God would change it right now. And that's where Job was. How, to what degree? To the extent that Job was now questioning God. He was demanding that he could have a meeting with God so that he could present his case. And we see God coming back to Job here. 
He didn't have to. From God's perspective, there was nothing wrong with Job. Job was still safe in the hand of God. And yet God reassures him. It's God that comes back to Job. Many of you, perhaps, are living right now wondering, God, why don't you help me? God, where are you? I had somebody tell me this week of somebody that they talked to about God who said these words. Why would I believe in God? He's never done anything for me. They don't know the reign of God. They don't know how much he's doing for them. They don't know how much he loves them and how much he is bearing them up and being patient with them even now. They've forgotten about how much he's provided for them, that their belly is full of food and their lungs are full of air and that their life is full of support and God has provided all of those things. But here we have God coming back to Job to reassure him. Job finds the God that he thought he had lost. And if you are here today in somewhat of a searching position, not as close to God today as you perhaps have been before, would you be reassured this morning that God has a word for you? He reigns. And may the reign of God comfort your heart. If you are his, you are his, and you can never stop being his. The last line in This Is My Father's World says this. This is my father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world, and the battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. Even though the wrong in this world or in your life seems often so strong, God reigns and rules through it. May you be reassured of that this morning. In Job, it is God that comes back to him and talks and talks and talks and talks to Job about his reign. And as we're about to see, it settles Job. It does assure Job. It calms him down. Let me remind you this morning that if you are not settled, if your heart is not calmed down, the reign of God can do it. Listen to him. Listen to him. Look to him. Believe him. Allow him to reassure your heart. Listen to what commentator Anderson says about this. There is a kindly playfulness in the Lord's speeches which is quite relaxing. Their aim is not to crush Job with an awareness of his minuteness contrasted with the limitless power of God or not to mock him when he puts his tiny mind beside God's vast intellect. On the contrary, the mere fact that God converses with him gives him a dignity above all the birds and the beasts. Listen to this word, assuring him that it is a splendid thing to be a man, 
to look at any bird or flower and how many of them there are is a revelation of God in his constant care for this world. God reminds Job that God has not lost him. Things have changed. He is now less happy than he was, less prosperous than he was. But that is because God is proving something to Satan, which in turn becomes a blessing to the rest of the world in history, to the church of God in 2021, to First Baptist Church of Fairdale. As we stand here and read God's reign, teaching us to hold tight to him who's holding tight to you in our suffering, it reassures Job. He is reassured from the Father. But lastly, the reign of the Father and the reassurance from the Father draws out a response from Job. Look at chapter 40. After God says, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Look what we have next. Then Job answered the Lord and said. Let me stop there for just a second. This is not an angry parent like we often become. When we say, you sit down right there and don't you say a word. I'm gonna tell you something. And we go into them and we blast them. I don't wanna hear another word. Now you, you go to your room. How earthly parents often do. This is not that. This is a conversation like we've seen throughout the book of Job, conversations. God talks, Job talks, God talks, Job talks. There's something to be learned there in fatherhood, isn't there? Job's way out of line. God never does anything wrong. God speaks, flexes his reign, his lordship, but he allows Job to speak. But look what Job says. Job doesn't want to speak anymore. Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once. And I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Aren't there times in our lives where we know we should stop talking? Have you recognized times in your life where you need to talk a little bit less? Certainly there are times to speak up, but there are times when we should talk a little bit less. Mason writes to this. He says, certain bodily gestures seem naturally to accompany profound worship, things like kneeling or bowing or lifting the hands or falling prostrate. Yet perhaps one of the most wonderful gestures of all is the uncommon one that Job here performs, covering the mouth with the hand. This act is a demonstration of total submission. Look at this. That's what Job does. One can fall on one's face and yet continue to blubber and babble, but to yield the tongue is to yield everything. Job's response of humble silence before the presence of the Lord is echoed in some of the best known verses of the Bible, some that you know. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Habakkuk 2.20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. He goes on to say, 
This is the kind of reverence we see in Job. In pain and confusion, he cries out to the Lord. Yet as soon as the Lord answers him, Job instantly grows silent and humble. Where before he was all mouth, now Job is all ears. Church, with what you're dealing with, would you become a listener? A listener to God? Would you believe him that he's there, right there in the midst of it? And he has a word for us? Anderson writes, in this sharing of a common life in the same world, God and Job both find the vindication that neither received in the discourses of their friends. The whole story became a test of both God and Job. And here is the answer to Satan's cynicism. Here's the proof that Job has clung to God when stripped of all else. Here's the proof that a man can love God simply for being God, not for reward. Here, the lack of a formal answer to the moral question, indeed, the narrowing of the spotlight of the book to one individual is positively instructive. Job is vindicated in a faith in God's goodness that has survived a terrible deprivation and indeed grown in scope, unsupported by Israel's historical creed of the mighty acts of God, unsupported by life in the covenant community, unsupported by cult institutions, unsupported by revealed knowledge from prophets, unsupported by tradition and contradicted by experience. Listen to this. Next to Jesus, Job must surely be the greatest believer in the entire Bible. Job has suffered and found God through it. Nothing, nothing can get Job to not believe in the Almighty, who he knew before the suffering. He struggled to know in the suffering, and yet now he knows in the suffering. What a thought. Job's response of not saying a word is profound. We need to humble ourselves under the reign of God. We need to allow his bigness and his being a almighty father to reassure us. And we need to respond with humility. But the book of Job is not fully the gospel message. And that's why earlier in the service we read from John chapter one where Jesus identifies himself as that almighty God that speaks in Job. In the beginning, John chapter one says, was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him, nothing was made. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as from the Father, as the only son full of grace and truth. The God that answers Job out of the whirlwind, that humbles Job, is the same God that went to the cross to die for us. The message from the almighty God to Job is not, Job, you don't want to step up to me. Job, you don't want to go face to face with me, Job. I'm stronger than you, don't you try me. That's not his message. 
His message is, Job, I am so much greater than you that I'm also the one who provides the answers for you in Christ. I am so good for you, Job. I am so trustworthy, Job, that I let my son die so that when Satan goes after you, you don't die. God let Job live because God had already sent Jesus to be the answer for Job's life. This Father's Day, would you become a child of God? Would you be strengthened in God's glorious reign? Would you believe that the God that made you and made everything else as he just showed Job, would you believe that that God sent his son to die for you? To believe that is to be in the family of God. May we rethink who's really in charge and may we live lives of humility before him. May we practice putting our hand over our mouth at times and may we believe. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we 